Okay, so um, continuing this series called Radical. So uh, we're going to look again at the same passage as we looked at at the last message on this. So go to Philippians chapter 3 and we're going to look at verses 1 to 14. If you remember, that's the verses where Paul is assessing his life. He's assessing his life before he met Christ and comparing it with what it looks like now. And you remember, Paul was a a really religious guy. He was kind of the best religious guy of his day. And I looked at some aspects of that passage last time, but I want to come at it from a a different angle this morning because it's it's such a rich passage. It's such a... The things that he is saying are are not only uh, deep, but they are also very challenging. And I want to kind of try and unpack that again, but this time from a different angle than I did in the last message, if that makes sense. Yeah? Okay. So here's... I'm going to try and pull out some principles, but here's the first principle I, I just want us to understand up front Uh, because this follows on from what I was talking about last time that when we know Jesus when we truly encounter him the impact will change us to be like him because he becomes the treasure of our heart and it's really important that you look at the order of that Because a lot of us are trying to get to Jesus. We're trying to uh, get him to be pleased with us. Whereas what Paul discovered is that the great treasure of life is Jesus himself. And that, that great treasure of life, Jesus himself, wants us to know him, wants us to encounter him, wants us to be in relationship with him, wants us to hear his voice, and wants us to, to respond and walk with him and hear his heartbeat and, 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 and take that heartbeat out into our lives and into the world. And so it's this encounter and knowing Jesus that is at the radical center of Christianity. Because the center of Christianity is Jesus. Jesus the person, Jesus the man, Jesus the God made flesh, Jesus the the only one who is worthy, Jesus the King of kings, Jesus the Lord of lords, Jesus the the, the mighty warrior, the king who sits on the throne. He's right at the centre. That Christianity is about him. You know, and I said in an earlier um, talk that we are, are treasured deeply and we are at the centre of his heart. But he's the one who's at the centre of the universe. It's about him. When we, when we became Christians, we became Christians by making him Lord of our life. And every time you know, we say that, Lord, Lord, or whatever, and, and we, you know, we sing Lord and we sing King and all that sort of stuff, Over and over again, God's been saying to me for months now, am I Lord of every area of your life? And that's it, isn't it? That's the challenge. Is he Lord? Or is he somebody that we think is a ticket to get us where we want to get to? And the two are really different. You see, with a Lord, 
Everything we have is his. Everything we are is his. With a ticket, it can stay in our pocket till we need it. It's really different. It's a really different approach. And, and this is kind of what Paul's talking about in, in this passage uh, in Philippians. Uh, I'm not going to read it all up front because we're going to work our way through it. But just remember, basically, um, Paul, Paul starts out, and when he starts out um, in his journey of, uh, I don't know, getting to know God or religion or whatever, Paul is a really, he's a really religious guy. He's a devout guy. He knows the word better than any of us. He knows how to use the word better than any of us. He knows how to analyze it better than any of us. And he's a sharp guy. He's a proud guy. He knows where he stands. He knows where he's come from. He knows his status. And he's, according to himself, he's a moral guy. He lives a good life. And his morality and his approach to life is based on what he can do to make himself better. And his righteousness is all about him. I've done this. I've done that. I was there. This is the place I occupy. This is my status. This is my achievement. This is my learning. This is my understanding. This is what I do in the synagogue. This is what I do amongst the rabbis. I've got the best rabbi who trained me. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, etc., etc. And it's all about his own self-righteousness. Now, I want you to understand that because when we say self-righteousness, there's a little thing that flips in our head and we all, all, all automatically go, well, of course that's wrong. Well, yes, it is wrong, but it's not enough to say it's wrong. We actually have to make sure it's not true about us. To say something's wrong is, is the first step, but actually to make sure it's not true about us is a completely different thing. What do we rely on for our life? Who is the center of our life? Do, do I think that... that my relationship with God is based on what I do and what my needs are and how well those two correspond to God. Or is my relationship based on the fact that he is Lord of all? He's Lord of my life. He's King of Kings. And he's the great treasure that I want to pursue. The great treasure that I go after. And so it's not enough to just say, well, obviously, Paul is self-righteous and that's a bad thing. It is a bad thing. But we want to really know it's not true about us. Because here's the point. Paul didn't know it wasn't true about him. He didn't know that that wasn't, that, that, that was what was in him. He thought he was relating to God really well. He thought he was the best related to God of, of all of them. And yet he wasn't. And so we want to we wanna kind of make sure that we're relating to God in a way that, that, that puts him at the center of our lives, yeah. that, that prioritizes him in our lives. And so I was trying to think, like, coming at this passage again, whether I could make it a bit, like, softer than last time, but I can't. It got, it got stronger. So... 
the only thing I would say about all of what I'm going to say this morning is, um, thankfully, it's not me that's saying it. It's the Apostle Paul. And, and therefore, I, if you want to blame somebody, you, you, you have a really good go at him. Okay? But it's not me. I'm just kind of trying to repeat what he said. So what Paul does say, though, in this passage is that he had an encounter with Jesus, and that encounter changed his life. And what he says is, I became a different man. I, I changed. And I became and started to see that I was becoming more and more like Jesus not as a result of what I did or could do or knew, but I was coming more and more like Jesus, but as a result of his grace and what he's done. And he, and he, he says, well, I started to realize the two are really different. The two are really different. And, and you see, when you start to talk like this, the problem is that religious people come along and they have a go at you. You know, pe religious people have a go at me regularly. You don't see it. it. all comes in in private messages on Facebook, and it's like, some of it's so over the top you wouldn't believe, but, you know. Um, but here's the thing. Paul had those religious people who attacked him, and they continually contended against him. Wherever he went, these people were, he, he encountered religious people. And... Anything he wrote, they tried to counter. Anything he taught, they tried to undermine. Anything that he demonstrated, they tried to say it wasn't real or they could do the same. And they, they were always undermining him and trying to pull him down. And you know, there's people today within who are well-meaning and yet are against anything that says it's all about Jesus what he has done for us and what he is doing in us. And, and, it, and it's sad that we, we, are, we get in that place. So let's, let's have a look at these passages. You, you might remember that Paul kicks off it really gentle, really well. He says, um, look out for those dogs. Look out for those mischief makers and evildoers. Depends what translation you've got. Whichever translation you've got, the way these words translated, they ain't pretty. And I'd just like to point out that when he says that these people are like dogs, we're not thinking cute puppy. Okay, these, it's not cute puppy here. It's not cute little dog that you take for walks. He's talking wild street dogs. He's talking um, dogs that um, basically... Uh, how can I put it? Well, well I'll, I'll, I'll read you what the, the commentary said that I read. He's speaking of wild dogs who run free. They eat human corpses left in the street. They go poo and wee wherever they want. They bite people. They're ravenous, unpleasant, mean dogs. And that's the word Paul's using. Now, that's kind of strong, isn't it? So what, what's got him so wound up? Because Paul, like, he gets wound up sometimes. What's got him so wound up? And what's got him so wound up is that these people are religious people, but they're not Christians. 
Because there's a difference between Christianity as a religion and Christianity. And we need to understand there is that difference. But, you know, people say, well, what religion are you? And we go, Christian. No, we're not. We're not part of a religion. A religion, by definition, requires you to do something to please or appease a God. And that's not what we do. Jesus did that for us. We're just Christians. The word Christians was... uh, It means little anointed ones. It means little followers of Jesus. And that's who we are, little followers of Jesus. And so there's a difference between a Christian and a religious person. So when he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we, the Christians, are the real circumcision. And by that he means not circumcision as in religious rituals, or I go to church, or I call myself a Christian, by that he means something has happened in my heart. There's been a circumcision of my heart. That's what a real Christian is, those who are circumcised in the heart. What does that mean? It means that you have been given a new heart as a result of new birth, and the Holy Spirit lives in you, and you're a completely different person to what you were before. Not just because you've had something done to you on the outside, but because the inside has changed. And, and, and what he goes on to say, who, we are those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in what? In our own flesh. That is our own efforts and our own attempts to be good and our own attempts to perform in a way that, ple- that's, that, that makes us acceptable to God. So here's we've got this difference between a Christian and a religious person. You see, Jesus' people, Christians, real Christians, understand that they are sinners and they are saved solely as a result of what Jesus did. Not because they did less sinning than they did before somebody told them they should be a Christian. Christianity isn't about less sinning by what we do and try to do. Christianity is about being changed totally so we no longer desire to sin in the way we did and we can get free of it. And and we've got new life that allows us to worship God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the result of that, Paul says, is different from the pride and self-righteousness that he had. He said, you can tell what this sort of Christian looks like. Because this sort of Christian looks humble. I think that's a really good word for us in today's church. That a Christian is humble. By humble, what does that mean? It doesn't mean weak. It doesn't mean wouldn't say boo to a goose, as my mum says. It, It doesn't mean that. Humble means knowing that everything you have is because Jesus lived an acceptable and perfect life in God's sight in your place. Everything comes from him. There there is nothing about Christianity that exists in isolation from him because everything flows from him. 
And, and he, he contrasts that with these people who he calls dogs who have no humility at all. And then he says, here's the problem. I was one of those. That's who I was. And I didn't realize I had a problem. They're self-righteous religious people, and that's who I was. A self-righteous religious person. You see, the bottom line of, of, of these few verses is what Paul is saying is this. God hates religion. Let's try that. Let's try that with a little bit more enthusiasm instead of the mm, God hates religion. Okay, we should be really pleased that God hates religion because the point is we in faith life right here now, we don't look very religious. We don't. We're really bad at religion. And I intend to get much worse at religion because Guys, we need some. We need some incense swinging through this place. You know, you know. We we need some comfy kneelers, because then we could get off the blue hard plastic chairs occasionally, down on our knees and back up again, and give our our bottoms a bit of a rest, couldn't we? You see, you can't use the word bottoms in a religious church. Anyway, God hates religion. Now, here's here's what I understand by the way Paul says this. Here's what religion is. Jesus plus anything else ruins everything. Jesus plus anything else ruins everything. And the other side of that is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So, if you're a mathematician, you've now worked out you don't need the plus nothing. So Jesus is my everything. Yeah. He's everything I need. It's all about him and knowing him and relationship with him and hearing his voice, listening to his heartbeat. It's all about him. And that's not religion at all. That's relationship. So we go on to verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. What he's saying there is, by the things I've done, I should have had a lot more confidence than other people. Because I, I was good at doing all those things. And here's, here's the thing. I want you to imagine you're Paul. Okay? And you're you're conscious that you are going to, which you are going to do, stand before God on the great day of judgment. Is that a bit taboo? Do we not talk about these sort of things in church anymore? You are going to stand before God on the great day of judgment. And here's what Paul was saying. He's saying, in anticipation of me standing before God on that great day of judgment, I've lived a religious and devoted life. And my goal has been to show that when I stand before God on that great day of judgment, I've got a really good resume. And I'm gonna, what I'm going to do, or what I was going to do, is I was going to show God my resume of all my religious stuff, everything I knew about the Bible, everything I knew about how to analyze the Bible, everything that I'd done, everything that I'd achieved, everything that, all my status, and I was going to put all this resume before God 
And I was expecting him to be pleased with me. I was expecting that resume to get me in. But not only get me in, get me to one of the prominent seats. Because it's a cool resume. You know, I, I think like Paul must, you know, like you can go on the internet now and you can get CVs prepared for you. I think, I think Paul must have spent a fortune getting his perfect CV together. Here's my CV gone. I apply for the seat next to Jesus. Because I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, and I was great at this. And here's what he says. I didn't know when I was preparing my resume that it was all rubbish. That God was going to look at that and go, well, that's trash, isn't it? It's rubbish. And he, this is what he says. If anyone thinks else thinks he's got reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, I'm from the right race, and I was circumcised on the right day. You know, not the ninth day, not the seventh, the eighth day. Got it right. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm not a mixed race person. I'm a pure Jew. That's got me some brownie points. As to the law, that's the Old Testament scriptures, a Pharisee. I was really the best at rule keeping. I was totally devoted to rule keeping and all the uh, religious things that we did. And there he is. He's got his resume. See, see how good I am, God. See how amazing I am, God. And then he goes, just in case, God, you're not impressed. Let me continue. As to zeal, I was passionate. I like passion. I get excited about passion. He's not saying passion is bad. I'll just point this out to you because if you want to be dull and grumpy, you feel free to be dull and grumpy, but don't look my way. Because you'll make me dull and grumpy too. And I did that and I didn't like it, so I stopped. So you need to be passionate. We need to be excited about our saviour. Yes. He ought to get like, every time we go, Jesus, you go, yes! yes! You know, I'm working on the series for next year and... and because it, it's kind of a, it's kind of um, a revisiting of some of these themes. And has anybody ever said, do you know, you know like when you watch uh, like a football match and you've got both sides and the fans are shouting and your side scores a goal and you're up and jumping up and down. Whenever you've seen anything like that, or a rugby match or Ben Stokes, you know, final over in a cricket match, that sort of thing. Whenever you've seen anything like that, has anybody ever turned around to you and said, if only we could be enthusiastic like that about Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And what did you do? What did he say? Wouldn't it be amazing if I was that enthusiastic about Jesus? Wouldn't it be amazing if all of us were that enthusiastic? No. Wrong answer. Do you want to be a fan, sat spectating, or do you want to get off the bench and be a follower? Because Paul was a fan. You don't need a fan. Fans cheer, but they never get in the game. Followers get in the game. Followers equip themselves. Followers go after Jesus. They go after his heartbeat. They're passionate about him. Their zeal is towards him, not outwardly. Their zeal is about capturing his heart and then carrying the weight of his presence. 
And seeing people healed, set free, delivered, life changed, the gospel preached, fearlessly, not backed into a corner. I don't want to be a fan. I can, I can do the whole fan thing, miserably. I support Aston Villa. That, that's just like trauma in itself. I can do fan. I don't want to be a fan. I stand, in the, I stand in the stands and I shout to the players and I say, how could you do that? Could you not see you could do it? I want to be in the game. Yeah. I want to be in the game. I want to make a difference. I don't want to be a fan. I want to be a follower. And Paul's saying, the problem is, I had passion, but I was a fan. I wasn't in the game. I was doing the religion. A persecutor of the church. Well, actually, I was in the game, but it was the wrong game because I was killing people. I was having people murdered. I discovered not only was I not in the game, I was on the wrong side. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Now, have you any idea how arrogant that statement is? 600 plus rules in the Old Testament and Paul's saying, I'm blameless. Was he blameless? No, he discovered he wasn't blameless because he couldn't keep them all. But he was so arrogant to think that he was nearly perfect and he had his resume and he's going to go, God, you must be really proud to have me in heaven, God, because look what I've done. Look who I am. Look how amazing I am. And God goes, rubbish. <laughs> God's not interested in any of that stuff. And it's tragic that we spend our lives doing that stuff. So Paul meets Jesus and he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I now count all that rubbish like God counted my resume rubbish. And I've got a new resume. And my new resume says the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Knowing Christ. Not the surpassing greatness of being a fan of Christ. The surpassing greatness of knowing him. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain him. He's saying that religious people, they're just like I was. They've got this resume. It lists all the good things they've done. It lists all the, because you just want to cover off every base, it lists all the bad things you haven't done as well as all the good things you have done. And we approach God on the basis of this resume. It says, here's all the good things I've done. Here's all the bad things I haven't done. Stand before you, and I want you to look at this resume, God, and I want you to say, yeah, you can come in. I want you to say, yeah, you can come in. And Paul says, that's how I used to think until I met Jesus, and now I realize that's not how this works at all. And he says, I now have one thing on my resume, and it's one word. I've got an entire CV composed of one word. But I wrote it big to fill the page. And it's Jesus. That's my resume, Jesus. 
Not me, Jesus. You see, what he's saying is this, and this is the core radical meeting point of what Christianity truly is, and it is the the, the center point of where we need to test our hearts, is this. There is a difference between Christianity as a religion and Christianity as a relationship. Religion's about me. The radical gospel of Christianity is all about Jesus. Religion says, if I obey God's rules, then he'll love me. The radical gospel of Christianity says this, because God loves me, I've now got a new nature so I can obey him. I can follow his heartbeat. Religion says, sees good people and bad people. We get on a, a whole lot better at getting the gospel to the world if we stopped seeing them all as bad people. And we started seeing them as hurting, broken, confused, misled, deceived people in the grip of an enemy. So religion sees good people and bad people. And the corollary of that is that God loves good people and he has a downer on bad people. And therefore the wrath of God is about to fall. Storm Dennis. God's judgment on the evil in the UK. And you might laugh. Well, you, you should laugh because in America, every time they have a storm, it's God's judgment on something. They all go off about it. And it's not. Because Jesus took God's judgment for everything. You see, the radical gospel says this. There are no good people and bad people. There's bad people. We all fall short. Yeah. On our own resumes, we all fall short because we fall short of perfection. Religion is about what I do. The radical gospel is about what Jesus has done. Religion trusts my works. The radical gospel trusts the finished work of Jesus. And they're not the same. You should be able to tell by now they're not the same. So what do we do? Well, the next thing we do is we respond to that gospel by repentance. Having recognized that actually we, we aren't perfect and actually we've... We, you know, we, we need Jesus, we respond by repentance. And then we get it all religious again. Because we have this problem and we want to make it all look religious. So repentance, you probably know this, repentance is only good repentance. It's, there's a lot of noise, a lot of tears. It all takes front, place at the front of the meeting so everybody can see. And and, and so the, the, the minister can walk up and down and, and see the effect he's had by telling people how bad they are. And they're weeping and wailing. And, and, he, and he then says, you know, you, you, your sins are forgiven. Don't go and do it. Don't do it again. And he does the same thing next week. And it's the same people because they went and did it again. Yeah. Because there's no power in religion to change anything. There's only a power in religion to condemn. There's nothing that helps you change. And so we have this idea of repentance. It's all about weeping and wailing. And the only good repentance is, is a repentance that is where you're totally um, 
wiped out. You see yourselves as miserable, hopeless, can never come up to scratch with God. And you're just at least a worm that hopes one day to get into heaven by having enough good things on your resume. That's the picture we paint of repentance. That, that, that came into being because the word that is uh, translated to repentance in the Bible, when, when the church got hold of it, somehow that word translated into penitence. You've got to pay for what you did. So it was brought in, paying penance for your sins. And, and that's how we morphed. And then we brought it into Pentecostal Christianity, which is all the, the weeping and wailing and crying, because we like to do a lot of weeping and wailing and crying, don't we? Yeah, you do, don't you? You like weeping and wailing and crying, don't you? Honestly, you do. You do. Well, why, if we don't like weeping and wailing and crying, why do we spend thousands of pounds flying to conferences where there's a lot of weeping and wailing and crying? Why do we, why do we celebrate it so much? Because we haven't got our heads around that this is relationship and not religion. So we celebrate some elements of religion. Is Christianity about a life of repentance? Yes. Absolutely. Minute by minute repentance. What's repentance? It means a changing of mind to see things the way God sees them. And therefore, Christianity, I'm not saying we don't repent. I'm saying we need to repent more. But it doesn't look like I've just described. What it looks like is this. It looks like this world and my world is not lining up to what heaven looks like. And I've been given this thing called the ministry of reconciliation. So my purpose now is to be in a constant state of recognizing there's a difference between what I'm seeing and a difference between what Jesus said was mine and I see in heaven. And to reconcile the two. So we are constantly living in this state of changing our mind, changing our perceptions, being transformed into the image of Christ by the renewing of our mind. And as we do that, heaven gets reconciled to earth. That's, that's what it's about. And there's another thing about repentance. You see, the repentance I, I've described with the, the weeping and wailing, etc., 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 that type, type of repentance, and you can pay for it with your penitence, that type of repentance represents a turning away from sin. So, here's my question. Shouldn't we be doing that? Turning away from sin. You see, what happens, you see, is sometimes in the effort to get the good message out, we don't give a complete message. And so what's a good message becomes partially a lie and gets us into all sorts of trouble. You see, repentance is a turning away from sin. And that's what a lot of people describe it as. Turn away from your sins, yeah? That's not the full message. It's a truth, but it's a partial truth. And when a partial truth becomes the whole of the message, it becomes a lie. You see, a turning away from sin is not Christianity. It's religion because it's law because it requires you to do it with no help from the, the thing that's telling you that you're, you're sinning. So you don't just turn away from sin, you turn in a particular direction, which is to walk towards Jesus. It's a turning away from, but also a turning to, so that Jesus fills our vision. Once again, he's the center 
of our faith. He's our Lord. He's the, he's the focal point. He's bringing us to himself. That, that, that's what this is all about. Jesus bringing us to himself. He's still with me. He's still alive. Yeah. See, the sort of repentance we, we preached in, in, in the body of Christ uh, on a large scale isn't... Um, it's kind of like clean up your act, but I'm not going to help you to do it. It's just to clean up your act. And if you haven't cleaned it by next week, I'm going to tell you off again. But I'm not going to help you. And Jesus said, well, we tried that with Israel and they couldn't do it either. And even Paul, who thought it was blameless, he couldn't do it. And Paul now realizes he couldn't do it. So he says, I need help. What's the help? I need a new heart with new desires and I turn towards Jesus and I'm going after him with everything I've got and I am not looking back. That's how he can say, those who gaze upon the Lord are transformed from glory to glory as they behold him face to face. Because he's looking at Jesus. Because he knows there's no help looking back. So he just looks at Jesus and keeps going and he goes, I want to be like that. You see, holiness is seeing the beauty of Jesus and desiring it for yourself. Desiring to look like that. That is the pursuit of holiness. Are you still with me? Yeah. Good. Okay. Let's... Verse 9 to 11. I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from doing the things on my resume list. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. When you became a believer, you entered a new existence and a new life whereby you could know Jesus and you could experience the power of his new life in you to help you walk towards him and away from sin. When you became a believer, your wants changed. The wants inside. And in your spirit, maybe not in your flesh entirely, but in your spirit, you want to follow Jesus. You want to be righteous. And that's good. But the question is, how are you going to pursue that righteousness? How are you going to pursue it? And Paul says, I used to pursue it through religion. And that was rubbish. And then I learned about Jesus. And now I pursue Jesus. You can pursue your Christianity through religion, or you can pursue Jesus the person. Here's the real problem that Paul's talking about in that. The real problem with Christianity as religion is that it does not believe that God would demand perfection. That's the problem with religion. It does not believe that God would demand perfection. And God demands absolute perfection. 
And we can't do it. You see, if God doesn't demand perfection, some people, like Paul, would be able to get there self-righteously. But God demands perfection. And because God demands perfection, there is no arbitrary line you can fall one side or the other of. You see, what God has done is he's made it incredibly simple. You know, some people, like question I get all the time, you know, why, do, why does this happen to good people? Why can't good people go to heaven and only the bad people not go? Why isn't God doing that? Because these people have lived a good life. So where is the line? How good's good enough? There is no line. Because quite a lot of us don't want to spend eternity with Hitler, do we? Or Pol Pot or somebody like that. We just don't want to. So there must be some side of that line. And I'm kind of a nice person, so I'm over here. And somewhere out there, there must be a line. There is no line. The line is way over there and it's called perfection and you're nowhere near it. And that's why you need a saviour. That's why you need Jesus because however good you are, you can't be over there. You can't get there. You messed it up before you were one. Now you've got no chance. So you need a saviour. So that's why Jesus came. Christianity is so simple. To be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. How does God deal with the fact he demands perfection? He gives you Jesus' righteousness. He attributes it to you. He said, what Jesus did for you, I'm going to count for you. And I'm going to give you his righteousness. And here's what I'm going to do. Not only am I going to give you his righteousness, but I'm going to give you the spirit of Christ to come and live in you and keep pointing you towards Jesus. Because then, then, then we can go and we can go after Jesus. And that, that's cool, isn't it? He made us perfect because Christ was perfect. He counts Jesus' righteousness as if we'd done it. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I've got my resume out now. I've got a new one. Got my new Apple iMac. Set it up. Sat down in front. Installed Word. And I've written a new CV. And here's what, here's this new CV. Here's what I'm going to tell God when I stand before God on my new CV. I'm going to say, God, I sinned. I broke your laws. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And I did what I wasn't supposed to do. But this is the entire contents of my CV, God. Jesus lived perfectly in my place. God. And we turn around and say, well, you've done nothing. And God says, that's not rubbish. That's what I'm after. I'm after you putting your faith in the one who did live perfectly. I'm after not your religious works. I'm not 
after your Christianity. I'm not after your church going. I'm not after you sat there analysing every single sermon you've ever heard and pulling it to pieces. I'm not after you reading 64 books that can't even agree with you, each other. I'm after your heart. And the only way I could get your heart was to take you out of the equation and put Jesus in instead. And that's why Jesus equals everything. Jesus plus nothing is everything. So we don't add. See, Jesus didn't save us to tell us to try harder. So why do we run church on that basis? Jesus didn't save us and tell us to try harder. He changed us and told us to live from that place. They're not the same. One is religion, one is Christianity. So why do we live? What's it all about? What what we're doing? Here's what it's about. As we pursue Jesus himself, this is what our hearts desire. To be like Jesus. To be with Jesus. To be for Jesus. And to live for his glory and my delight. That's your destiny. To live for his glory and your delight. Isn't that just so much better than all that religious stuff? Let's stand. See, what Jesus is offering is his new life. Completely new. I don't don't think we grasp this, you know. He's, He's saying, on offer is a passionate, joyful confident, stable, purposeful, meaningful life and it's yours and I'm giving it to you and it's living inside you right now so take a hold of it. I've given you my spirit right inside you right now so take a hold of it because what's on offer is a joyful, purposeful, meaningful, passionate, purposeful life. And right now the church is saying, I'm too comfortable, I can't be bothered. And it's turning down the offer. At the heart of the church rejecting the Holy Spirit is a turning down the offer of the life he gives. So we're going to invite the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. But there's a difference between somebody living in your house and you actually going and talking to them and sitting down. So we're going to invite the Holy Spirit. We're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come, to fill us afresh, to fill us anew, fill us more deeply. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to stir the flame that he's pacing each one of us. That passionate flame that goes after him.
And so I just want you, I want you to put your hands out. I want you to pray. You can pray in tongues. You can pray in any way you want. But I'm just asking you to invite the Holy Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, I recognize that, that even though you've, you've been there right with me, I've not always got that relationship thing. I've tried to relate to you on a basis that you weren't interested in. Holy Spirit, I recognize I've just got too comfortable. I've, I've sidelined you. I've put you kind of six steps down on my CV, and I recognize that's the wrong place. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to come, fill us. Fill me now. Fill us. Stir that flame, Lord. Stir that flame that you have placed in our heart. That, that, that desire to go after you. That desire to go after your heart. To know you. To know you, Holy Spirit. To know you, Jesus. To know you, Father. Jesus, we are coming after you. Yes. We are pursuing you turning from our past to look and pursue you, to turn towards you, to come after you. Thank you, Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. I'm just going to ask the musicians to play, but I actually want you to, to, to go, go to other people, turn to other people, don't leave anybody on their own. And I actually want you to pray with them for more of the Holy Spirit in their life. More of, of, of the Holy Spirit upon them, not just within them, but upon them. It's not just Christ in us, it's us in Christ. To be clothed with the Holy Spirit. So I'm asking you to, to do that, to turn to each other. If you've got words for other people, I ask you to go give them. I ask you to go give them. If you want to pray for healing for somebody, if somebody needs healing, you go pray for healing for them. But Holy Spirit, we want you. We want you.